we uh, go for launch. Five. Quiet, numbskulls. I'm broadcasting. Anything can happen in the next half hour. Four. My friend, we cannot keep this a secret any longer. This whole thing is insane. Three. Quiet, please. I am analyzing. Where's the kaboom? Two. There was supposed to be an earth-shattering kaboom. One. Greetings, fellow galactic travelers, and welcome back to another edition of Planet 8 Podcast. This is your mission commander, Larry, speaking to you from our hidden base. By my side, as always, is Chief Engineer Bob. And up in our orbiting spy satellite is Reconnaissance Officer Karen. This episode of Planet 8 takes us into the Spider-Verse. Let's kick it straight on up to the satellite. Karen. All three of us saw the movie this weekend. Um, tells the tale of a uh, oh, spoiler alert, listen, listeners. We're going to have a lot of spoilers. But uh, Karen, Miles Morales story. First time we've seen it up on the big screen. Give me some impressions of the film that you saw. Okay, so we're talking Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse. Um, uh, in some ways, um, certainly uh, one of the most exciting Spider-Man films, yes. I think, because of the animation style. I, I really, really liked it. I thought that um, this is a really different style of animation, but in a good way. Um, in some ways, it, it looked almost like 3D without the 3D. Um, and it had a lot of really great comic book elements to it that weren't overpowering. I mean, there were times where you saw little panels pop up or sound mm -hmm. effects pop up. I thought that was really cool. There was definitely an influence on some of the designs um, by certain artists. I saw things like Bill Sienkiewicz kind of designs. If you know who Bill Sienkiewicz is, he worked on Moon Knight and New Mutants and other, other books. So I was really impressed with how it harkened back to a lot of comic styles um really embraced them and i just thought overall the essence of it really captured what spider-man is about in a way that as, as much as i love like spider-man homecoming i thought even that hasn't quite captured the essence of spider-man to me mm -hmm. the way that this movie captured what it really is about to be spider-man and i've read a little bit about miles morales in the comics so i knew who he was and um, I thought it was great the way they presented him, a young guy who suddenly gets the powers and is trying to make sense of it. And, and then we had the older 
Peter, who was really disillusioned. So it was a great mentor-mentee relationship, and then all the the kooky, crazy stuff that went on too. So I, <laughs> I just really, I was really thrilled by it. I really enjoyed it. It was a lot of fun. Uh, Chief Engineer Bob, first impressions on this film? Definitely liked it. Um, been a Spider-Man fan for a long, long, long time. Oh yes, my many years on Earth. Many of those were spent as a Spider-Man fan, but um, I definitely agree. And I did see it in 3D. Did you guys see it in 3D or just flat? No, just, just flat. flat. Okay, I saw it in 3D. So uh, it definitely, nice. if you get a chance to see it again, 3D is definitely the way to go. It's just the depth of everything is pretty amazing. And, uh, you know, really, you know, you touched on the, the art style and it really is a comic book style all the way down to, and this is for all you youngins who probably don't remember the old days of mm -hmm. comics, but when comics were originally done by hand, penciled and inked <laughs> and colored and whatever, uh, they had this stuff called uh, like zip tone, mm -hmm. which was like a sheet of almost like a translucent sticker with little dots on it. And what they would do is they would cut the sheets and put them on as shadows on the characters or on buildings or whatever. So, you know, in the older comic books, you see these shadows that if you look real close are all these little dots. And they had that actually in this, in the movie, whatever, CG cells, whatever, had that kind of zip tone type of shading to them, which I mm. thought was really cool. And it's definitely, this movie is like a movie that probably would not have happened before the age of the uh, motion comics. Because hmm. it almost has a feel of, of a motion comic, even though it has a lot more motion to it. Yeah. But, you know, with the, like Karen mentioned, with the panels popping up and, you know, the words popping up and, you know, sound effects and things, it definitely kind of has that feel as well. But I really liked it, really enjoyed it. I went with my son-in-law and uh, my girlfriend's son, and um, they loved it. You know, one's in his 20s, one's in his teens, so... We had multiple generations watching the movie yesterday and all of us enjoyed it. That was it. one of the things that impressed upon me is that this is really uh, a, a movie that, that speaks to the generations, you know, to the, to the old school, you know, comic book uh, fans from the 60s and 70s on through uh, to, you know, kids today. I mean, the music that they picked was very specific to speak to today's youth. Um, and I, yeah, I'm like Walker. I'm not that familiar with Miles Morales's uh, version of Spider-Man, but I so loved um, his Earth's Peter Parker instilling upon him, you know, with great power, et cetera, et cetera. And, and unfortunately, he passes away way too soon. But that then puts Miles on this journey. And, you know, we see the 30 something year old Spider-Man who's kind of given up on life because Mary Jane and his relationship didn't work out and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And I think for the first time in, in a movie, we've seen a mentor uh, ship that Spider-Man, you know, he's fought villains, he's fallen in love, he's, you know, all this other kind of stuff. Uh, the other thing that was exciting for me is to see the comic code, uh, authority code, open up. <laughs> that, that was, was really like, cool. That surprised me in the beginning. Wasn't it? I mean, it was like, okay, we're in for yeah. a good ride now. Again, they tie it back to the comics and you had that that real right. strong sense of you know wanting to incorporate 
the comics tie it back in and really appreciate and understand the history of the comics. Right, right. Uh, you know, the, I thought the villains were great. I loved what they did with the scorpion. Um, that version, I've never seen it before. Well, since and, when was know, the scorpion Mexican? Oh, well. So it, 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 you know, I'm not sure if that's the version that's in the Ultimate Universe or not. I yeah, I read all the Ultimate comics, but I don't remember the Scorpion. I'd have I to go never back got into it. the Ultimate, so I, I just the way that he was put out there was was uh, exciting. Yeah, and Doctor Octopus, I, that that was a nice twist. Yes, um, that was really really interesting in the design of that character. Again, there was really great design elements in this movie. Yeah, I was oh, kind yeah, of wondering, what was Doc Ock's tentacles made out of? I, it was like a, it looked like jello to me, but obviously it well, wasn't. Well, I mean, it definitely I, I wasn't metal. Some sort of polymer. Polymer, yeah. Because, uh, yeah, they, they were all change. squishy. Yeah, it was pretty cool. I liked the design of the kingpin. I mean, you know, that was that, like, big hulking, you know. Oh, he was massive. Yeah, I mean, that, that was cool. I mean, these are the kind of things you can get away with in animation. Yeah. That even in live action, still would with even with CGI would would look just bizarre. You know, right. but you can do it in animation. Well, I'm yeah, really in, I'm in really the glad real they didn't try to make these characters look like they were you know perfectly proportioned humans type of thing. I mean, yeah. they right. they went the stylized route, which I think mm -hmm. was a big strength right. on this. You see a kingpin like that in a live action movie and it's going to take you out of the movie because it's going to be CGI and, you know, but, but here, this is the medium to do it in. I even like the way Tombstone looked. I mean, it was very, he was mostly in the background, but I, I mean, he stood out, you know? Yeah. Yeah. They, they, it was really nice an interesting selection of, of villains and the way they designed them and, and brought them all together. I, it, I thought it worked really well. I, I, real quickly, I will say I, I haven't read the ultimate uh, version of Spider-Man. I haven't really read comics in years because of personal reasons. But this version of Aunt May, uh, were you guys familiar of this version of Aunt May? Or is this just something that they did in, for the movie? With the underground lair and all that? Well, Yeah, and she was like kind of like a spy badass, you know, kind of like <laughs> she reminded me of Alfred in uh, the Gotham TV show. Yeah, you know, I don't think they ever had that version in the yeah. comics. Not I mean, the I'm movies aware. and things, they've had, you know, the, yeah. the big comment about about uh, Aunt May was that every time they have a reboot, she gets younger. And, <laughs> yeah. you know, at least in this one, she was an older Aunt May. But did you, did you see who did her voice? Yes. Lily Tomlin did the voice of Aunt May. That, that was I, pretty cool. Yeah, nice work. Yeah, definitely, because I could not, Chris Pine and Lily, I, I couldn't pick them out. You know, I, uh, Nick Cage has that cadence that, you know. He was, uh, he was perfect for that character. No, he did, he yeah, was. He it was perfect. But for those who don't know, you had mentioned earlier about Chris Pine. Yeah, right, right. We were talking about that before. Uh, he was the, what I call the hero Spider-Man um, who, who is instilling in Miles, look, you know, you have to do this. Promise me you're going to finish this for me. Pretty much is the last words that he says to Miles before he dies at the hands of the kingpin, and and um, he just did a great job. I mean, uh, you, you listeners, if you haven't seen the film, and hopefully you have, because we just spoiled the heck out of it for you. <laughs> We're ruining the film. For you don't now. need to see it now. <laughs> yeah, really. Um, 
but yeah, uh, make sure, you know, we'll get to the whole thing about posting comments and being part of the conversation, but really, really, I'd, I'd be curious to see what you guys thought about this. Um, the three of us loved it. Um, l let me ask you guys this now, you know, this film, we were talking about the comics and, and the influences on it. Um, when was the last time you read a Spider-Man comic book? I mean, for me, it has to be about 20 years ago. Oh, my. Yeah, I mean, um, I got disillusioned with the spider clones and and uh, Ben Parker and that whole thing kind of. I haven't, I haven't read the mainstream Spider-Man comic in a while. I read the Miles Morales comics hmm. um, earlier this year. I read a fairly good run of those, and then I read some of Spider-Man in some of the Avengers books the last couple of years, but I haven't picked up. Like ASM, um, Amazing Spider-Man, in in a few years. Yeah, see, for me, I, it was very very similar to Larry. I was really disenchanted with the whole Clone Wars, and yeah. uh, which will bring me back to a question on the movie. But before I get to that, I was disillusioned by the whole Jackal making all the Spider-Man clones, and well, that's a long time ago. Yeah, and so, <laughs> well, basically, that was where I stopped because. At the end of that whole storyline, they rebooted Amazing Spider-Man back to zero. And I thought, okay, that's, I finished that main run. They're back to zero. This is a good time for me to just drop out. Oh, you're not, and, you're not talking the original clone saga. You're talking about the rebooted clone saga. I'm a few talking the original clone saga. Yeah, you have to remember, Karen, Bob's been alive for a long, long <laughs> time. <laughs> but after that, I did. My friend Kevin D'Antonio gave me a couple episodes of The Ultimate Spider-Man. And so mm -hmm. I started reading those, and I ended up, by hook or by crook, half-price books, Amazon, eBay, whatever, getting the whole run of Ultimate Spider-Man. So I did read all of Ultimate Spider-Man oh, okay. up until he died and Miles took over. And then last, was it, a couple years ago, they came up with the whole kind of Spider-Geddon thing. And uh, I saw a panel where, you know, they had all these different Spider-Men coming in from all the different universes, and that's kind of where the Spider-Verse whole thing started. And there was a panel with Leo Paldon, which was Spider-Man's robot in the Toei Japanese Spider-Man series. And I thought, holy crap, he's in a Marvel comic. So I ended up buying that whole run of that story was crossed over between I think it was Amazing Spider-Man, Spectacular Spider-Man, 2099 and uh, you know all the different spider titles or whatever. So I did kind of get that that run. So that was probably the last meaty reading I did of any Spider-Man. But bringing going back to my question about the movie though, the one you refer to as Hero Spider-Man, the blonde-haired Spider-Man, do you think the blonde hair had anything to do with that original saga? Because that original saga started, and we're going to go way back now. There was a, I think it was around Amazing Spider-Man, was it like 150 or something, where Spider-Man's clone originally showed up? Mm -hmm. And at the end of the story, Spider-Man defeats his clone, drops him down a smokestack into an incinerator. Right. Years, decades later, the clone shows up again, claiming he's the original Peter Parker and that the Peter Parker we were following all those decades was actually the clone. 
And so they had that kind of, that kind of like jump started this whole storyline thing. But going back to my question, I keep putting off <laughs> the blonde hair on the, on the hero Spider-Man in the movie. Is that some kind of nod to Ben Riley, who became the Scarlet Spider? Because basically the, I, at the end of all that, the clone survived, but he couldn't be Peter Parker because Peter Parker was Peter Parker. So he took Ben Riley from Uncle Ben and Aunt May's maiden name and became the Scarlet Spider. But yeah, he always had the blonde. He also dyed his hair blonde. That's, that's a good question. I don't know. I, 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 that was I've just like, that. that was like probably the longest question I've ever asked in my life. Yeah. Or the biggest build up to I, a question. I, but. I wondered if they were just doing it to differentiate more easily for the audience um, or to make him more, it's like he was the perfect Spider-Man. Mm. You know, he was like the perfect version that none of them could ever be. He got it all together. He got the, the girl. He had his little spider cave. He had the adulation of everybody he you know he seemed to have the perfect life whereas the rest of them still were all kind of trying to get their act together he had the spider dune buggy too yes the that spider was buggy. awesome jerry conway cool. must be very happy to see the spider buggy <laughs> it survived let me let me ask you guys this so when I was watching it, and this is something I was thinking about after I read sort of some of the Miles Morales comics. So we all know that Peter's motivation to be Spider-Man is, you know, the, with great power comes great responsibility. The whole thing with Uncle Ben, Uncle Ben gets killed. So he, he feels this sense of both guilt, but re, it's the responsibility thing, right? He's He has to be Spider-Man. It's his responsibility to help people and everything else. So what is Miles' motivation to be Spider-Man. I, I kind of feel like we're given some things in the movie. It's this theme of expectations comes back repeatedly. His father's expectations. He has the essay about expectations. Um, I'm just curious about, you know, we know Spider-Man's Peter's motivation and then what, what motivates Miles? And if, I don't know. Well, it's I, like think, he's the I think part Spider-Man. of it, Looking back, I think even in the comics, part of it was hero worship, I thought, his hero worship of Spider-Man. But also in the Ultimate Comics, Spider-Man had just got, had just been killed. Right. By, I'm pretty sure it was a Green Goblin that killed him in the comics. But, um, but Miles had gotten these powers and he felt a responsibility to take over. Now in the movie, in this particular movie, I think he kind of had that, however... I'm thinking, you know, for, for his whole, all his powers to manifest and for him to take that leap and go to the next level and whatever, I think it was the death of his uncle. Not Uncle Ben, but Uncle, uh, was it Uncle Aaron? Yeah, so there's a parallel. Uh, who, who, was the pro, who was the prowler. There's and a so, parallel of yeah. two uncles, I guess. But there's kind of different things there, right? Because at one point in the movie, Peter Parker says, you know, when they're talking about the leap, Peter Parker says, I got it when I lost my uncle. And they all kind of had the same thing, except I think one had lost their father and then one their best friend. Gwen mm-hmm. had lost her best friend. So there's that loss, you know, the loss they couldn't prevent or they, you know, or they didn't prevent for whatever reason that basically helped them make that leap. 
I, I think that's, yeah, I, I would, I would tag along with that. Uh, you know, he lost Spider-Man, the hero Spider-Man, and then his uncle, and then probably his father being a police officer too, upholding right from wrong. His dad has a point where, you know, there, there, I don't, can't remember the dialogue, but there's, there's a convergence where his uncle chose a route or his brother. And, uh, you know, one brother became a cop, the other brother became a prowler, you know, so maybe Miles sees that and, and decides there comes a point in all of our lives where we decide who and what we're going to be are what, you know, what our moral fiber is, what, you know, what is good, what is bad. And that was Miles point. Well, and when his uncle dies, though, he, he kind of puts it on him again and says, you're, you're supposed to be the best of us. Right. So right. again, he's kind of laying it on him. This isn't, this isn't, wasn't, you know, you're, you're not supposed to have this happen to you. You're supposed to be the best. So it's like he, he has a load on him similar to the way Peter had a load, but I don't think it's exactly the same load. The point is the death. Yeah. yeah. If you look at the two characters, though, too, Peter Parker, he was basically an orphan that his aunt was raising, his aunt and uncle were raising, and he lost his uncle mainly because of his own greed because when he became, he got the powers, what did he want to do? He wanted to go out and make money. He entered that wrestling match. Uh, the robber came running by him and the guy's like, stop him, stop him. And he's like, hey, that's not my problem. Whereas Miles, he comes from a solid family. He's got a mother and a father, both absolutely love him. And he's basically, he was basically a good kid. There wasn't really a point right. where he wanted to use it for his own gain. Right. He wanted to go out, he wanted to do good, he wanted to, you know, save people and he wanted to stop, you know, the catastrophe from happening. He I just didn't have the, he just time. didn't have the chops yet. Change in times too in that when Peter when when Spider-Man first came out in comic books you know, yes, you had Superman, but but there was no, you know, there's not as many heroes. Now we have a thousand hero this and bat this. And and so maybe the motivation is then, oh, do I become a villain or do I become a hero? If I become a hero, what, you know, how do I do that and all this kind of stuff? That might have had something to do with it, too. That's true. And like I said, I just think inherently Miles is a good kid. Right. And, you know, so when he gets the powers, he wants to do right. That's a good question, Walker. <laughs> Well, we got putting to, us all know, into stunned to... silence. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, it, do you have another one for us? Well, not I. Not specifically about the film. I'm oh, okay. just thinking about some of the other Spider-Man movies, and I just I feel like, but but this Spider-Man movie really captured that idea about Spider-Man feeling so motivated to help people, and I. I, I feel like the other ones did to a degree, but I don't know. This one just, you know, I really felt like, oh, yeah, this Spider-Man or these Spider-Men and women yeah. <laughs> really like and pigs, um, you know, they all had that that like um, essence of, of uh, unselfishness of trying to help other people that just, you know, the comics like especially reading, you know, the old Stan Lee comics where it was just like that desire to get out or, or need even to get out and help people that I just haven't quite felt a hundred percent from the other movies. So, 
Well, you know, with great power comes great responsibility. And, and God love him, Stan did have a cameo in this film. And yes. he didn't speak those words. But he did speak to Miles about taking up the mantle. You, you, anybody can wear the costume. What do you do with it? And Spider-Man was his friend. Right? So, <laughs> you know, it was like, it, I, I think that kind of helped push Miles towards towards that uh, inevitability. Well, it was, it was definitely a great cameo. And even the post-credit thing, they, well, mid-credit thing they had for Stan. Oh, that was, was hilarious. So. Oh, yeah, that well, the post-credit scene was hilarious, but I was talking about the, uh, the nod they gave to Stan. Oh, they played the Stan and Steve Ditko. Stan yeah. and Steve, yeah. Yeah, that was really nice. That kind of acknowledgement. Uh, you know, I want to uh, uh, ask you guys, how do I get a hold of that uh, Christmas album? <laughs> <laughs> I have Shatner uh, singing Christmas songs. I have, uh, you know, all these other uh, people. I want that Spider-Man. <laughs> well, who knows? Yes. They may release it as a, uh, <laughs> a tie-in to the movie. The acknowledgement of not only Spider-Man 2099, but then the Spider-Man cartoon all in one one uh, closing scene that was that the whole audience we were with were, were laughing so hard I could hardly hear the the dialogue. It was it's pretty much you're pointing at me. No, you're pointing at me. No, you're pointing at me. You're pointing at me first. <laughs> no, you're pointing at me. But that bring, kind of brings me to my question: When did you guys first discover Spider Man? What was mm -hmm. your first exposure to Spider Man? I'm about, pretty sure it was comics. Yeah, mine was comics. It was uh, the Man Thing and Spider Man were in a. It was either Marvel Team Up or I th it was Marvel Team Up actually. And I was more fascinated with the Man Thing uh, <laughs> oh, than Spider Man. No comment. But, but I remembered the Spider Man. You know, the spider sense and they had the tingly thing around his head and stuff like that. Well, no, because the Man Thing reminded me of Frankenstein. I was a big, you know, monster fan. Still am. Uh, but anyway, that, that I remember that actually. Uh, I want to say it was 25 cents, you know, off the co uh, comic rack. So, you know, of course, the thing was bent over. Uh, you know, the book was not uh, nowhere near mint condition. But yeah, it was a comic book. And then, you know, after that was the 66 cartoon or 67, whatever. Um, that was on cable with Captain America, Hulk, Submariner. And, mm -hmm. Yeah, we'll see. But, and it was funny because Spider-Man was the, was the better animated version of those Marvel hero uh, Grant Ray Lawrence yeah um, I th I don't know if my first Spider-Man comic it was either Amazing Spider-Man 98 which was right in the heat of the comic uh, codeless drug issues oh. or it was Marvel Tales 33 um, which covered Amazing Spider-Man 45. I wrote this down because I knew we were going to talk about um, <laughs> God, you came uh, prepared. So I, we're trying to go off memory here. Um, yeah, so I, in my head, because when I first started reading, there was always the, the mainstream Marvel issues and then they had all the reprint titles and I was collecting both yeah. at the same time. So I was like, and at first I didn't quite get that some were like reprints and so it was like, oh, there's both going on. And then eventually, you know, my little brain figured out, oh, no, these are like old stories. But, yeah, those were the, the ones that that I, I know were my first ones. Yeah, um, see, see, for me, it was the cartoon first. 
Oh. When I was a little kid, and this and not on cable. This was Saturday mornings on because I've lived a long time. This was Saturday mornings <laughs> on network TV, and the first run of that '67 Spider-Man. I was <clears throat> seven years old, so I was right in that demographic. Was it black and white television, Bob, or was it color? Um, well, for me, it was black and white because we had black and white TVs back then. I, I was going to say there's a lot of black and white TVs back then. So yep. so I was kind of like, you know, where I first discovered Spider-Man and Ultraman was coming on and whatever. My whole life changed when I was seven. But, yeah, no, it was a cartoon, definitely the cartoon. And I loved the cartoon. And so then, of course, I went out and started searching out the comics but, you know, obviously there were no comic shops back, you know. Right. You had to go even, to the even at the height of my store. comic collecting in like high school, early high school, I think comic shops were just coming in. So I would walk down to the smoke shops and buy my uh, comic books at the smoke shop. <laughs> mm-hmm. And, and you know, I'd be... I, his second love. <laughs> I would be... No, no, actually I never smoked. But... Um, That's when you started reading Doctor Strange. And- yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But no, I mean, I would buy my comic books at the comic sh- at the smoke shops, and then I'd come home. I'd be reading the comic books, but I'd be smelling cigars as I'm like reading this thing. So every, you know, even today, I smell a cigar and I think comic books. <laughs> and comic books, oh, maybe that that's why I stopped. Smoke shop. I, I thought it was a different smoke shop. No, no, no. This was like you know, cigarette cigars. You know, this is. You turn to the know. page with J. Jonah Jameson. You can smell his cigar. It's smell right. in smellorama. <laughs> but so, no, I mean, you know, because I, I did watch all those Gantry Lawrence cartoons. I loved them all, you know, and it's like, I'm, I'm sorry they're not all available on DVD or something. Just because. Yeah, I know. Me just too. Just for the memory of it all. But yeah, at that time, it was Spider-Man had, quote, full animation or fuller animation than the other, yeah. uh, other cartoons. Because the other ones were basically <laughs> just like cut out comic panels sliding across the screen with mouth yes. moving, you know. But there was also, at that time, Hanna-Barbera was doing Fantastic Four. Yep. And that one, you know, was, you know, even more fuller animation than than Spider-Man was. That one had a good theme song. Yeah. Fantastic Four. Yeah. And I'm, I'm pretty sure Reed Richards' voice was done by the same actor, and his name slips my mind right now, who did Race Bannon's voice yep. on uh, Johnny Quest. I think you're right. Hmm. And he also so did who, uh, the main character in Herculoids. Hmm. But They're all pretty much the same type of character. Yeah. Yeah. Who is your favorite Spider-Man artist? Can I go first? I'm a, go ahead. John Romita. Yes, yes. I would say the same thing. John Romita Sr. Oh, my gosh. So fabulous. And it was so cool when he came back to do the uh, Spider-Man newspaper strip. Oh, yeah. For quite a few years. Stan was writing them and John was drawing them. Jazzy Johnny Romita. Yeah. And I know a lot of people. Larry, who's your your favorite Spider-Man artist? Todd McFarlane. No, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> See, that's okay. what a lot of people would say, though. You can say anything you want, Larry. I, I, we will I, only ridicule you off mic. Thank you. Thank you. Steve Ditko. Do you really you like Ditko better than uh, than Ramita? I, I like Ramita, but 
I mean, there's just, you know, that hey. nostalgic thing that I just, you know. Well, there's tons of people that prefer Ditko. He's, he was the original. I mean, know? I love them all. I, and I do like McFarlane, too. But, you know, when I think Spider-Man, I think Ditko. Huh, interesting. See, now I there have, was uh, I was like walking. Me one year and it had some Ditko Spider-Man panels in it. And I, and I love that calendar. And that company had since gone out of business. So yes. there were no more of those. Asgard um, Press. Yes. I yes. miss them. Yep. Oh, terribly. But anyway, yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. I, was, I was walking through a Target one time and they have these kind of like canvas prints. Mm-hmm. And they had one of. Spider-Man facing off with Mysterio, and it was a John Romita cover from one of the comics. Mm. And I've got that hanging in my bedroom today. But That uh, is cool. You yeah. know, the one artist, the one Marvel artist who surprisingly, I, I think, did not draw a good Spider-Man was Jack Kirby. Um, oh, I think That's, that's interesting. It, well, you know, yeah, Kirby's heroes tended to be pretty bulky and spider-man yeah. is not bulky you know he's yeah kind of thin and and lean but he probably puts a little too much bulk into him well look it's it's come to that point in the podcast uh uh my fellow listeners my galactic travelers uh where we do a sensor sweep uh-oh oh, uh-oh yes. hold on hold Karen. on one moment Go Wait ahead. A minute. uh larry we're getting a special transmission ah. from earth here Bob, can you can you tune in? I'm sending you a signal. We're getting a transmission. I think it's from Monster Kid Radio. Yeah, oh it's kind of weak. Let me see if I can tune it in a little bit. Boost the power to the interocitor. Here we go. spine-tingling, nerve-shattering podcast featuring all your favorite monsters. You won't believe your ears when you listen to Monster Kid Radio. Hear your host, Derek M. Cook, and his ever-rotating stable of guests discuss your favorite classic and sometimes not-so-classic monster movies. Subscribe to Monster Kid Radio through iTunes or Stitcher or visit MonsterKidRadio.net before the next weekly episode of Monster Kid Radio. Go through the archives for interviews with Sarah Karloff, Victoria Bryce, and Joel Hodgson. Listen to discussions about movies like Creature from the Black Lagoon, Island of Terror, and King Kong. And don't forget convention coverage from Monster Bash and the HP Lovecraft Film Festival. Classic Monsters, Modern Talk, and the Head of Rondo Hatton. Only on Monster Kid Radio. That was great, Bob. You did a fantastic job boosting the signal. Karen, please reach out to our friends over at Monster Kids and thank them for that. Speaking of thanks, before we get into the sensor sweep, wanted to have a moment where each of us wish you, our listeners, a very warm and happy and safe holiday. This is our inaugural year as a podcast. And, um, you know, we can't thank you enough for tuning in. 
going to the Blogspot page, going to Twitter, going to Facebook, being part of the conversation. Uh, we thank you immensely. I'm going to kick it up to the satellite, let Karen uh, talk. Oh, thank you, Larry. <laughs> Hey guys, uh, it's been an absolute pleasure putting on the podcast and hearing from all of you. I uh, want to wish you a great holiday season, whatever you're celebrating. Uh, it could be Christmas, Kwanzaa, Hanukkah, Festivus, or Saturnalia. Uh, <laughs> it's all good with us. We're just happy to have you on board. So I hope you have a wonderful time and we will see you back again on the next show. Um, thanks again a lot. Thank you, Karen. We're going to kick it over to Chief Engineer Bob. And Bob, you're going to be giving us the sensor sweep. So go ahead and, and give your thanks to the uh, listeners, and then you can start off the sensor sweep. Bless you, one and all. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's Tiny Bob. That's right. No, I'm a, you know, I grew up a Christmas kid. So, uh, <laughs> you know, Merry Christmas to all my fellow Christmas kids and happy holidays to everyone else. A great holiday present for us was definitely the Spider-Verse. Oh, yeah. But if you're looking for a special present for that special someone, you cannot go wrong with the Iron Giant. Uh, oh. 1000 Toys and Sentinel released a very, very articulated die-cast Iron Giant which is just amazing. Yeah, you know, it's about probably six or seven inches tall, but the articulation and the detail in this thing is just totally amazing. Uh, when I send Karen pictures of it to post along with the episode, I'll try to pose him in some interesting uh, positions with a, P <laughs> with a PG rating in mind. <laughs> but, you know, you have a couple different heads. You've got different hands, you've got just, again, you know, it's very, the way they made the, the skeletal, skeletal frame, you can put him in just about any position you would want to, you know, mimicking positions in the movie. In fact, on the back of the box, they have a couple different positions from the film. And, uh, and this thing, you know, it's kind of, you can't just go to one site and find it. It's out there. I think I got mine on Amazon. But uh, I think Mondo had it for a little bit. Amazon has it. Um, I think if you just go to Amazon and just search for Iron Giant uh, Sentinel or Iron Giant 1000 Toys, it should come up. It's kind of, you know, pricey for the size that it is. But once you open it up and start checking it out, it's definitely worth the price, especially if you're like me and a uh, huge fan of the Iron Giant. Excellent. Why, thank you very much, Chief Engineer Bob. And this will conclude our transmission from Planet 8. We would like to thank you, our intergalactic audience, for listening. As always, be sure to head over to our website, www.planet8podcast.blogspot.com, where you can get more um, information on the episode's topic, like Bob was saying, pictures of the Iron Giant and so forth. Continue the conversation. You can find us over on Twitter at Planet8Cast or on Facebook at Facebook.com Planet8Cast. Ladies and gentlemen, we look forward to your input, your opinions, guys and dolls. Until next time, this is Planet8 signing off and transmission.
the weather outside is frightful, but the fire is so delightful. And since we've no place to go, make it so, make it so, make it so. Man, it doesn't show signs of stopping. And I brought me some tea, gray hot. The lights are turned way down low. Make it so, make it so, make it so. When we finally kiss, good night. How I hate going out in the storm. But if you really shut up, Wesley. All the way home, I'll be warm. Oh, the fire is slowly dying. And I, dear, we're still goodbye, and but as long as you love me, so make it so. Make it so.